Thanks for listening to one of our Sunday messages at Crossroads Bible Church. We gather on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 10.45 a.m. To find out more about our church or to connect with any of our ministries, visit our website at crossroadsbible.org. We hope you enjoy the message and pray it encourages you as you follow Jesus. Good morning, I'm Alex Ward and my family and I moved to Texas from Europe five years ago. We've been blessed that we found Crossroads early in our time here. I'm reading from several verses um, and Proverbs to you this morning. So first of all, from James chapter 2, verse 23. And Abraham was called the friend of God. Exodus 33, verse 11. The Lord would speak to Moses from face to face as one who speaks to a friend. And from Proverbs. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This is the word of God. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Crossroads. My name is Steve. Some of you are like, who is that guy? Well, I used to work here, and so it's awesome to come and see all of you. And so you're in a series on uh, Proverbs. If you didn't know that, you haven't been here for a couple weeks. Uh, Charlie started it a couple weeks ago. And so Proverbs is about wisdom. And I chose today to talk about friendship. And I know Charlie was a little bit, uh, he really wanted to do that, but he said, okay, Steve, you can do that one. And so I'm thrilled to talk about uh, friendship. Proverbs is all about wisdom. Wisdom is the skill of living life. The Hebrew word for wisdom is hakmah, which um, means skill. So that you guys that were like, you know, building the house, I'm not good at that, but many of you were skilled or were not skilled and then you became skilled. I've got a, my son-in-law's dad, Ray Taylor, is got a lot of hakmah about building. So right now, this weekend, you know, my daughter's husband's dad came and built them a deck. And I just kind of stood around and did what he told me because I don't have any skill in that area. So the skill of living is hakmah, it's wisdom. And often, you know, in life, uh, there are things that are right and wrong. And sometimes the Bible says, in this situation, you should always do this and you should never do that. But then there are some situations where it's not so clear. It's kind of, you know, not sure which way to go. And that's where you need wisdom. Wisdom tells you what to do when there's not a clear right and wrong. It's the skill of living a certain way. So I want to talk about friendship today and uh, start off with the, uh, the question, do we really need friends? Well, first of all, I, I sensed that this was what I should talk about because we were at P.F. Chang's and I opened my fortune cookie and it said this. New friends are in your future. So there we go. I thought, for sure, this is a message straight from God. That's what I should talk about. 
thought this was a really amazing statement. You know, new friends are in your future. Well, that's, you know, how do they come up with these things? They sit in the back and go, hey, here's one. And we used that one last week. So anyway, new friends are in your future. Um, just if nothing else, remember that. But do we really need friends? When I was in seminary, back when they were starting seminaries, they had just started the whole idea of seminaries in the world, and I uh, was graduating pretty soon, but I, I had a favorite professor, and you know, I was single two-thirds of the way through seminary that I got married, and uh, by the way, Darlene says hi, and she's not here, she's seeing babies, which is what she mainly does in life, and we haven't reeled one of our children in, so she's out in D.C. seeing them. And uh, so, uh, so Darlene's always been pretty much the same person, just kind of a little bit, you're not quite sure what you're going to get, you know, a little random, a little out there and, and never shy. And so here's this incredibly introverted professor and his lovely wife, and we had them over for dinner. I was like, oh my gosh, this is what you can do when you, when you get married, you can have people over for dinner, it's so cool. And so, and he actually said yes, and they drove way out to Garland, and that's where we lived. And so we sit down, we're half, halfway through dinner. Darlene says, so, Dr. So-and-so, who are your best friends? And I will always remember he said, I don't need any friends. Why do you need friends? He said, I have my family. I have my work. I don't need friends. And it was kind of this stunned silence. We just were like, really? Okay, then. Good talk. Do we need friends? Really, uh, our culture isn't quite sure. Um, C.S. Lewis said, you know, friends are unnecessary. You can live without friends, but they give value to survival. It's kind of like that scene in Dead Poets Society when Robin Williams says, um, medicine, law, business, engineering, these are noble pursuits and necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, love, friendship... These are what we stay alive for. So it's a wonderful thing, but our culture says I'm really kind of busy. Not really sure I have time for it. The ancient, the ancients, back in the day, to the ancients, friendship seemed the happiest and most fully human of all loves, the crown of life and the school of virtue. The modern world, in comparison, ignores it. We have friends if we have extra time, you know, and so in our culture, uh, romance is at the very top, you know, you go to the, you know, you go to the uh, magazine rack, and what do you see? You see all these magazines about, here's this person that's seeing this person, and aren't we fascinated by that? It's all about romance, or, you know, down there below that somewhere would be family, and then somewhere, if you have time, friends might be a good idea. You know, there was one trilogy movie that was really all about friends, although the book was about friends, but when they made the movie, it was all about romance, which was Lord of the Rings, right? Lord of the Rings does have a romance in the books, but it's in the appendices. And really, when Tolkien wrote Lord of the Rings, it was all about friendship. But when we made the movies, it's kind of like, well, you got to have the king and the queen and that love story going on. So we're not quite sure what we think about friendship. It's good. We don't have time for it. We want fame. We want money. We're going to put our efforts into that. There was a, a Harvard study still going on 75 years. 
in the, in the late 1930s, they started a study with 724 people, and they decided to track their lives. And every once in a while, every couple of years, they would interview these people and see how they're doing. And essentially, what makes people happy? What makes people happy and healthy? And they've been doing it. There's, there's been like four people in charge of this study. It's still, 75 years is like the longest psychological study of all time. And so, what they've decided after 75 years of studying 700 people and all of their, you know, grandchildren, all that, what makes life worth living? What makes us happy and healthy? It's friendship. And the shocking thing is, not that many people have good ones. Because then another study came up recently about this same kind of thing and said that the average American hasn't made a new friend in five years. So studies show the way to be happy and healthy is friendships. We don't have time. We don't know how. We don't do it. My daughter, Becky, we call her Dr. Becky because she's a doctor and she's a psychologist. And she had a rough month. Uh, had to deal with suicides in uh, the police department in Denver and, and, and someone took their life in her church and, and she, it's just been a very emotionally tough month and I had to go pick her up at the airport and she was just weeping over this thing that had happened and she said, you know, we this newest generation is the loneliest loneliest generation in a long time. I said, but, but, but you know, we think of this, the new generation as being all about social interaction, right? She says, no, we don't, it, it's social, but it's not personal. She said, do you know what a mirror neuron is? And I'm like, no, Dr. Becky, I don't know what a mirror neuron is. Why don't you tell me? She goes, well, the brain, she didn't say this, but this is about it. The brain generates feelings of empathy through social interactions that are helped along by mirror neurons. Mirror neurons increase connectedness by helping us imitate others. Good imitators are able to imagine how other people feel, what they might think, how they might react. The idea is that there is a correlation between the tendency to imitate others and the ability to empathize with them. That ability to empathize is the most important building block of what? Friendship. So the thing is, in order for that to happen, you have to be in, in, with somebody looking up from your phone at their face. And you have to actually be seeing that other person and watching their interactions and watching their emotions and how they say things and responding to that. That's what mirror, mirror neurons do. And that's how we build friendship. But we're so lonely because we're just constantly looking at some other screen, right? All of us, not just one age group. So we struggle with friendship. Do we really need it? I think we do. We just struggle with it. The Apostle Paul, he was such a spiritual giant, right? Did he really need, you know, friends? This is what he wrote. This is the last words, really, that he wrote. 2 Timothy 4, what does he say? Great Priscilla and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left. Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best, Timothy, to get here before winter. Because you're so useful? Well, yes, but you're my friend. I need these friends. I need people in my life. All right? So everybody needs friends. We just struggle with how to do it. So here's what Proverbs says about how to have friends how to choose friends, 
how to be friends, and how to keep those friends. So let's walk through this. Proverbs 13:20 says, "He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm." So you hang around. If I hung around Ray Taylor uh, long enough, I would gain skill in learning how to build decks and stuff like that. If you hang around people that are skilled at living or at parts of living, you become more skilled at that. That's how we become wise. Our lives are often greatly affected by those we hang around with. Wisdom, the he who walks with the wise grows wise. Now, C.S. Lewis says in terms of choosing friends, sometimes we don't choose them, sometimes it just happens. Friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what, you two? I thought I was the only one. So I've met this new guy named Matt. And uh, he lives in Colorado Springs. I kind of vaguely knew him when we lived there before, but not really. And so we become better friends. And, uh, and you know, what C.S. Lewis said is that lovers look at one another. They, um, they are, they're obsessed with one another. If you're married, you remember back when you first started dating and you were obsessed with this other person. Oh, my gosh, I found this person. They're just the best of all. And so you're just so excited about them. And you're facing one another. But friends are side by side, and they are looking at something else. That's what Lewis said, is that the, the very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. Where the truthful answer to the question, do you see the same truth, would be, I see nothing, I don't care about the truth, I only want a friend, no friendship can arise. There would be nothing for the friendship to be about. So friends are side by side looking at something else. That's why we're sitting here this morning, we're looking up at the screen, or we're singing together, and we go, yes, we have this experience with Jesus, and we all agree, that's what really brings us together. Isn't he amazing? Isn't he wonderful? So this friend, Matt, I thought I liked getting out into the wilderness. This guy's a nut. And he just, he, he thinks he's got GPS in his brain, which evidently he does because he's still alive. And he goes out to these national parks and he doesn't take a map or a compass or anything. And he just somehow survives and he goes to places you'd never find. And if you, if you live in Colorado and then you're next to Utah, and if you go into Utah, there's all these parks, you know, arches and canyon lands and all that stuff. And he loves to just go out there and just get lost and find his way back. And so I have all these kind of things that I'd kind of like to do, not as much as him, because he's crazy, but we'll go, go, we'll go to coffee and we'll just, I'll just throw out a couple questions and he'll just talk forever about, yeah, I went to this place and that place and I went to this thing that nobody even knows is on the map and I got out there and they, people and Native Americans had carved this gigantic snake on the rock 400 years ago and I found it. I love listening to that because I kind of want to be like that. I want to be a little more sensible than Matt, but we have a lot of stuff in common. Like I have a bucket list of things I want to photograph, and so he wants to go there too. But it makes me upset because he's been to a lot of these places, like Iceland. You know, that's like a dream. He's like, yeah, we were there four years ago. But anyway, we'll sit and talk about all this stuff, and we're becoming friends because we're spending some time at it. I used to sit in a booth at Kubi's restaurant. I mean, I don't know if you know where Kubi's is. Kubi's is an old German restaurant that hasn't changed their, their decor since 1975. And I went there when I was a student in college in 1971. And it's down by SMU. And you should go there. And so uh, when I graduated from seminary in 1980, 
80. And they're just building cars and stuff like that. And so a guy that was in my class was named Michael. And we didn't really have full-time jobs. Our wives did, which was great. So we would get together and drink coffee and talk about life for hours. And he said, well, do you know about Samuel Johnson? I said, who? He says, Dr. Johnson, who lived in the 1700s. And I did my thesis on him. And I go, who's that? So we would read Samuel Johnson. And Samuel Johnson wrote all this stuff about friendship. Did you know that? The 1750s. By the way, if you want to read about friendship, read Samuel Johnson. Read C.S. Lewis, his book, The Four Loves. He's got a whole chapter on friendship. And Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote uh, a famous essay on friendship. But we would sit there and we'd talk about friendship. And we were becoming friends because we were spending hours. And so when I moved back here, guess what we did? Called up Michael and uh, we went to Kubi's. And we sat in the same booth and talked about life. A lot of life has happened. And right before I moved away from here, a year ago we went, sat in the same booth, and talked about life. So we chose each other as friends. There's another guy that I've recently gotten to know again. Similar kind of deal. We were in seminary together, 1980, graduated. I hadn't seen him since then. And he and his wife moved to Colorado Springs. So you know, Rick and Lucy are there. And so Darlene and I have gotten to know them. And we sat down and says, well... How's the ministry been? It's only been 40 years since we got together. And we had a lot to talk about. So choosing friends is important. You have to have something in common, something that you're looking at. There's a bizarre verse in Luke 23. It says, that day, Pilate and Herod became friends. Before this, they'd been enemies. Why did Pilate and Herod become friends? The only thing they had in common was their hatred for Jesus. It's not a great thing to build a relationship on. I don't think it lasted. But choosing friends is important. And then being friends, how do we, how are we, how do we conduct this friendship? How do we forge it? Here's three things. I want to walk through some Proverbs. Tell the truth. Don't be a jerk. And hang in there. Those are the three sections, all right? So tell the truth. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Kind of think about Judas and Jesus. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Hopefully that's what happens when we fellowship in the church. But you know, you've got you to gotta be careful. Right? You've got to be sensible. You've got to do the 14-in-1 principle, which I'm sure we all practice in our marriages, which is before you say one critical thing, you say 14 good things, right? 14 nice, positive things that build the other person up before you've earned the right to say one critical thing. You guys, you know, you haven't been around long enough to do that. So, um... I remember a friend of mine, Steve Breedlove, met him on my first day in college, and we became incredible friends. He was in my wedding. I was in his wedding. He was kind of someone that I could follow. He was a few years older. And uh, one day, after we'd known each other for several years, I remember my life was a little bit, it's not way off the rails, just getting there. And uh, Breedlove comes and says, Hickson, when are you going to get with it? That could have been the ending to a lot of friendships, right? Like, who who are you? But he was somebody I really trusted. I can still remember him saying that. And it was like, yeah, I was kind of floating around. I was kind of directionless. I really needed to get my act together. And he had the right to tell me the truth. And he's always been that way in my life. 
So you tell the truth, you do it with sensitivity, and when you've earned the right. Secondly, don't be a jerk. Evidently, 3,000 years ago, people were jerks just like us, all right? Because that's about when this was written, right? About 1,000 BC, Solomon, who had a dad, who had one of the most famous friendships in history, right? David and Jonathan. Um, don't be a jerk. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house. Too much of you and they will hate you. <laughs> so just, you know, remember that. You go over to somebody's house, you've been there a little bit long, uh, they might hate you if you've been there too much. Uh, this next one I remember because I was I had a roommate in college and his name was Doug. And Doug would get up and he would go zero to a hundred in four seconds. He would get up and he'd start yelling and start asking me, hey, Steve, is it cold outside? What should we wear? What are we going to do today? I'm going to go, Doug, shut up. I'm not even awake yet. And I would always quote this verse to him. If anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it'll be taken as a curse. Great verse. Life, a life verse. Um, chapter 25. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day or like vinegar poured on a wound is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. These are things that can ruin friendships. Sing songs to a heavy heart like, hey, you know, I know you're having a hard day, but just get over it. Uh, so I had, you know, had four golden retrievers and they're the best. And, and the very first one was Barney. And I... I you know, I feel bad saying that about the others, but, but Barney was really pretty cool. And he was this wonderful golden retriever, and he just, even though he passed gas, you know, under the thing, just, we just loved him. He was great. He was handsome, and, and we went running and stuff like that. He was about two, and he died. It was horrible. He got overheated. You know, it was the summertime, he got overheated, and he died. We took him to the vet, and they packed him in ice. He didn't make it. And I was just stunned. I didn't... I wasn't ready for that. I remember crying. I was like, this is my dog. I love my dog. And went to church the next morning. And across the parking lot, my good friend Doug yells out, hey, dog killer. <laughs> and Doug was trying to be funny. But I didn't really take it that way. Now, Doug and I are still friends. But this verse applies to what Doug did. Don't do that. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day. Or one who sings songs to a, hey, don't say dog killer, all right? It's not good. Look at this, 26. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is one who deceives their neighbor and says, I was just joking. Yeah, so evidently, to be a friend, you got to have a little sensitivity. you got to think about what you're saying. You can't just go, oh, it's my friend. I can do whatever. We'll still be friends. Maybe not. Maybe not. Do you have any friends that aren't friends anymore? Little things happen. Hang in there. That's the, that's the third one. Over a course of time, hang in there. A friend loves at all times, but a brother's born and a brother's born for adversity. The idea here is you have siblings. And the idea is the ideal sibling is there for the hard times. I'm blessed. I have the best sister in the world. She's the sweetest person I don't even think we're coming from the same, same family. I don't know how we got together, but she's amazing. And if I ever really needed anything, my sister would be there. She's in Florida, so we don't see each other that much. She's just great. But it's saying that's what siblings are for, especially back in that culture, for, for difficult times. But, but the point is, a friend loves at all times. A friend is there at hard times all the time, anytime. And then it says in 1824, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. 
again. Brothers are there for adversity. This person sticks closer, and the word sticks is like the word that's used to talk about marriage in Genesis 2, where it says a man will leave his father and mother and be united, cleave to his wife, stick. This friend really sticks, and you can think maybe right now of somebody who really sticks with you. The famous spiritual um, leader, uh, Oprah Winfrey, said this, lots of people, lots of people want to ride with you in the limo, but what you want is someone who will take the bus with you when the limo breaks down, right? So I got a call from my friend Ben the other day, and Ben called. He just said, hey, Hickson, this is Bensky. How you doing? And he, I know from, from Ben, he really wants to know. And so I started telling him he was listening, and I just, and, and afterwards, now maybe this is a guy thing. It was difficult for me to do this. <laughs> But I thought, you know, I should tell him how that makes me feel. And I was like, guys, like, no, we're not going to do that. But I did it anyway. We've been friends for a long time. We've been friends through a lot of fill in the blank, okay? I remember going to lunch with Ben about 10 years ago, 11 years ago. We walk in. He goes, well, I, I, uh, I went to work the other day. I came back to work from lunch, and the feds were in my office, and they said, don't touch anything. That started a really bad three-year span for Ben. So we walked through that, and, and I've had stuff in my life, and he's always been there for that. And so Ben calls the other day, and he just, he's always calling, just leaving messages. You know, hey, this is Ben. I'm at the airport, just wondering how you're doing. And I texted him the other day, and I said, Ben... I just want to tell you that one of the things I appreciate about our friendship is when you call to see how I'm doing. I don't know why that was hard for me, but I did it. And then he goes, great, thank you for telling me that. I'll keep you on speed dial. But he's always there. He hangs in there with me. And finally, you've got to choose friends, you've got to be friends, you've got to keep friends. And um, Samuel Johnson said this. Dr. Johnson, 1750, of the gradual abatement, this is how people talked back then, right? Of the gradual abatement of kindness between friends, the beginning is often scarcely discernible. He's saying it's sad, but if you don't take care of your friendships, sometimes they fall apart. You've got to maintain, you've got to keep calling, write a note. When I was here last time, about a couple months ago, I was here for this wedding. I stayed at people's houses, and I got back home to Colorado. I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write a note. I'm going to write a card and tell those people, thank you for letting me stay at your house. And I didn't do it. (laughs) And it's not the end of the world, but I thought, well, you know, that's what a friend would do. It just doesn't take long. Just say thanks. Or pick up the phone. You know, we moved to Colorado a year ago, and you know what it's like when you're looking at houses? Those people have done some work, right? It doesn't look, you can go down the block and figure out which house is for sale because they've fixed it up, right? So we're looking at this house and it's like the trees are great, the lawn is great, everything looks beautiful. We'll take it because obviously it's always going to be like this, right? So, you know, go fast forward a year, the snow, which by the way is still going on up in the mountains, but it finally goes away. And I look at our yard and half the yard's dead. I'm like, how can this even happen? The grass is like dead. 
And, you know, so we got the, the, the grass, you know, expert comes over and he goes, well, you know, this is a winter kill because, you know, it's at the right angle, it's where the water leaves, and then it's got too much exposure to the sun, and there's no trees, and so it just, we're the only one, in the, the only one I've ever seen in the whole state that's got the dead grass, so I've got to do something about that, and then the tree surgeon comes over, and he goes, well, you know, you got that tree, it's not even native to Colorado, I don't know if you know where it came from, and you got to cut that part of that off because because it's touching the house, it's going to burn your house down, you won't be able to get insurance. I hope they don't hear this. But anyway, so, so and then there's all that, and then there's, there's these drip systems, and it's real complicated. I thought, I just thought it was naturally like this. I didn't know how to maintain it. At my age, why in the world did I buy a house like this? You've got to do all this work, and the weeds are coming up in the front. Why didn't I get one of those little tiny houses? Because the HOA was 400 bucks a month, that's why. But I'm going to spend that anyway. So anyway, the point is... You gotta take care of your friendships. They don't just naturally stay great. So I got a friend named Gavin, and we met in 1975. And uh, I know you're thinking, he's almost dead. How could he remember these things? And, and so Gavin and I became friends. We're in each other's weddings. And um, he calls the other day, or he didn't call. He emails. He says, we need to talk. And I'm like, great, you're in England. How we do that? Well, how about Skype? I don't like Skype because I'm always looking, I always look weird, you know, and I'm looking, where's the camera part, you know, and can't talk, I'd rather, anyway. So we Skype, and he goes, so, how's your son David? I've been praying for him since you asked. Well, I asked him 10 years ago. He says, I've been praying, I said, how long have you been praying for David? Since you asked, you didn't tell me to stop. Like, Gavin... And then I'm fast trying to remember, have I been praying for his kids? What are his kids' names? I don't even know. That's somebody who really cares. He really wants to maintain and keep our friendship going. But let me transition to um, the ultimate friend. Alex read some passages about God being Moses' friend and Abraham's friend. And, uh, you know, a lot of people in our culture don't even think there is a God or don't believe in him. And, and the last thing the average person's going to think is that God himself wants to be my friend. God is in a friendship with himself. That's part of the mystery of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in community, communing, being friends with one another. And it's a gift that he has given us. It's not like, hey, this friendship thing is something that human beings have just come up with on our own. It's a gift. It's something that God says, here, and, and I'm going to give you the book of Proverbs to become better friends and take care of those friends and choose good friends. And, and I want to be your friend. I want to be your friend. So on the last night of his life, his earthly life, Jesus gets his friends together. But he hadn't been using that term directly. And so they're having this dinner before he's going to go to the cross the next morning. And he says this, he says, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. I no longer call you servants because a master doesn't confide in his servants. Now you are my friends. Now by this time, some of them had begun figuring out, oh my gosh, this guy that we've been hanging out with, he's God. And he's telling us that he wants us to be his friends. 
And Jesus knew a lot of people, but then he decided, I've only got three years. I'm going to spend most of my time with these 12. And then even at certain times, he says, and I'm going to spend even a little bit more time with these three. And sometimes he even spent more time with this one guy named John. And John was so overwhelmed by the friendship of Jesus that when he referred to himself in his books, John didn't call himself John. He called himself the disciple that Jesus loved because the friendship meant so much. Now, I know this theologically. I think there's a lot of things we know theologically, but we don't, you know, act on them. So I remember about five years ago, we went in the summer to Colorado like you're supposed to do, and uh, we're in this cabin, and uh, I said, well, you know, Darlene and Becky and the rest of our family, I said, uh, I'm going to go to this other town because I want to do photography, and I want to go up in the mountains, and it's places you don't want to go, so I'm going to rent a Jeep, and I'm going to go by myself, and I'm going to stay in a hostel because nobody likes to stay there, right, except for me because I'm a guy, and I'll stay anywhere. So... So I go and stay at this hostel in Crested Butte, which is actually pretty nice. And um, I get up the next morning at the crack of dawn, right? Because that's what you're supposed to do. It's like a hunter. Like some of you are, you have skill, wisdom in hunting, right? I'm sure you get up and go, God, you know, let me shoot this animal and kill it and um, be like a man. And so I get up and I go, God, I know this is kind of spiritual. I think you appreciate photography. So would you help me find cool stuff to take pictures of? It was like, I'm asking God to bless me my day, which is a, it's a good thing to do. And I remember sitting there, and I was going to walk out the door in my little hostel room, and I paused, and it felt odd for a minute. And I said, Jesus, do you want to go with me? And it felt like that scene in uh, Field of Dreams where Ray goes, Dad, you want to have a catch? You know? Like, Jesus, if you're not doing anything else right now, if you're not busy, how about if you come with me and you sit in the Jeep and we do this together? And it was one of those emotional, spiritual moments where like, Jesus really does want to be with me. He really is my friend. There's this book that's falling apart called The Transforming Friendship. It's my wife's copy, and she swore don't wreck it. Uh, It's by a guy named Leslie Weatherhead, some British guy. But he talks about the transforming friendship of Jesus, and he said this, Christianity must seem to some people a very complex and difficult thing. Sermons are preached on it. Books are written about it. Conferences are held to discuss it. A single word in the Gospels frequently takes a commentator several pages of a big book to explain. And yet surely the essence of the Christian message must be very simple. The people who took it from Jesus' lips were not clever people. They were very hungry people. That was their main qualification. I think the essence of the matter might be stated by saying that Christianity is the acceptance of the gift of the friendship of Jesus. Let me say that again. Christianity is the acceptance of the gift of the friendship of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we... um, thank you that you uh, it's hard to believe that you would want to be our friends that you would go through what you went through to make it possible 
that the things that stand between us and you are wiped away. That our sin, our brokenness, that you came to rescue us from all that and that you desperately want to be friends with us. We often think of you and we immediately think of our shortcomings and our failures and our promises that we haven't kept and all you really want is for us to receive this gift of your friendship and we thank you for that Jesus in your name we pray amen